If you've got your Bibles, why don't you take them out, please, and we'll, we'll continue with the study of the book of Philippians. And at this point, we are in uh, Philippians chapter 3, and our verse for today is verse 19. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19. And uh, I'll read from verse 17 just to put it together um, so that we can make some sense of it and see what the Lord encourages us through His Word this morning. And this is what it says, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And then today's uh, verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Another translation puts it this way, verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Three weeks ago I said, I began this particular portion of scripture from verse 17, and I highlighted Um, the point that there are three points to look at from verse 17 through to verse 19 today that um, I want to express, to highlight as as a group of believers that I believe the Holy Spirit is highlighting to us. Um, This is Paul writing to his friends in Philippi, and this is what he encourages them. He points things to them, and he he shows them the light and the way that they they should walk. And the first thing that I mentioned um, was... His friends in Philippi, us today in Redemption Family Church in Kilani, um, is that they must follow those who set a good example. And I made mention that actually the reason why we need fellowship, the reason why we are called to uh, be together on a Sunday during the week as believers is that we need to set an example for one, uh, to, for one another. Because we read the Bible and uh, Jesus is a high priest, we understand and we know that. Um, but sometimes it might seem a little bit challenging to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Because he's not here with us physically, we know he's here with us in his spirit, through his early spirit. But it might seem a little bit challenging. And then Paul writes more than half of the New Testament. And when we read the, the letters that he wrote to, um, to his friends to the churches that he was preaching to. We look at his life and we think, man, this guy was something. He must have been superstar, uh, super Christian. It's also hard for him to actually, uh, hard for us to follow him. And, um, but yeah, the, 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 the point was that, okay, we follow Christ. If it's a bit difficult, well then follow Paul because he follows Christ. Um, if that is even uh, challenging because Paul is, uh, was like you and I, human, uh, well then let's look at each other. Let's look at each other and follow those who are, um, have a pattern 
which the Word of God gives to us. That was the first point. So that's the importance of meeting. That's why it says we are not to neglect the fellowship of believers. Why? Because we get uh, encouraged. And not only do we get encouraged, we also get challenged when we are going in a detour where we, where we shouldn't. Um, because left to your own devices, you will go in a, in, a, in a way that you shouldn't be going. Then the second point was uh, Paul highlighted. He said that we, we must note or his friends in Philippi, and today for us, we must note and avoid those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. So actually avoiding certain people in, in the congregation, it's not sinful. You notice those who are going in a detour, those who are actually detracting you from the cross of Christ, and you are to avoid them. In other words, when the avoiding here is not to... You know, we walk in the street and we see them and we move over to the next side of the street to... Actually, no, no, we are not to emulate them. We are not to follow them. We are not to... As they set the example with the way that they are living, we are not to follow them. We look at their lives and we say, no, we will not do that. Because it does not uh, conform to the, to the pattern that Paul writes in the word. So it's important. So we're together to encourage each other as a, as a family, as, as a church. But in the church, we have to look at each other. We have to look at each other and point out who are the ones who are mature. And those who are mature, we have to emulate them. Paul would be so, as, so bold enough to say that, follow me. Follow me. Follow my example. He wasn't saying that out of a place of pride, but out of a place where he has been... Um, living this life um, for Jesus Christ. And he says, well, then look at me. It's hard under, but look at me. Follow me. Today's point is that all of this, or as we do those things, it makes a difference here on earth and into eternity. The way we live our lives here makes a difference, obviously, currently, but into eternity. And I tell you what, I want to live this life as best as I can here. But I know this is not the end of my life. It's not the end of our lives. There's an eternity to look forward to. There's a race that we are walking, we are running, we are pursuing a prize to be won. And that prize is what we are living for. Prize being Jesus Christ. Prize being with, being with Him for eternity. So that's the third point. It makes a difference eternally. Our lives, how we live and how we um, uh, conduct ourselves makes a difference not only here. As you know, it will make a difference how you engage with people. Other people will either stay away from you or they will want to be with you. So it makes a difference here, but it also makes a difference, more importantly, in eternity. And the reality is, if you've been a church girl for, for a couple of years, months, whatever it might be, the reality is that religion ultimately fails. Religion ultimately fails. Christianity is not a religion. A religion is one that's set with rules. You've got to follow rules. If you, if you um, break the rules, there's a consequence for that. So religion tells us. 
Christianity is a relationship with a man. And his name is Jesus Christ. And only this Jesus Christ, only he produces righteousness in his people. We are his people. And only he can produce righteousness in us. You can't produce the righteousness that you want to produce in yourself. That would be self, um, um, self-glory, as it were, your effort. It's him. He does it. He does it. And so now Paul says to the Philippians, and the Holy Spirit says to us this morning, look at the way in which a Christianity without the cross works out in practice. So it says their end is destruction. Look at the way it works out in practice. That's why it says in verse 19, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. I made a joke about uh, food this this morning. We need to eat. We need to eat. Physically, we need to eat, but we also need to eat spiritually. And so I've been encouraging myself and us to continually look to the Word of God, continually meditate uh, in the Word of God and allow Him to speak truth to us through His Word. Now this last, uh, this verse, Paul sets um, forth a striking fourfold uh, description of the enemies of the cross of Christ. Have you, when I was reading that, I was thinking, well, what, is, what is the, what, what, how does it look like? Enemies of the cross of Christ. I'm thinking, okay, who is he talking about? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to the unbelievers? Is he talking to the believers? Uh, the word says he's writing to those who are saved in Philippi. So it's got to be addressed to those who are believers, which then says that in the, the, the place, even within the fellowship of believers, there are those who become enemies of the cross. Let's look at that and understand what that means and how it looks like. And it's, it's quite difficult. It doesn't, um, uh, it's quite, the commentators say it's quite difficult to determine whether these people, the enemies of the, the cross, were the renegade believers, you know, uh, believers who are believers, but they renegades in, in, the, in themselves, or they were a hostile unbelievers, the world out there that we, we are so called to impact. The commentators say they don't, it's not quite clear who... Who was he referring to? There's something of him referring to those among us because he's writing to those who are saved. He says, he points out those who are mature. He says, look at them, emulate them, mimic them, use them as an example. So he's writing to people who are saved. not writing to people who are not saved. He's writing to people who are saved. But then he says, you have to be careful of those who are um, enemies to the cross of Christ. So he starts off in verse 19 says, um, their end is destruction. And so the first uh, portrait of these rebels, we'll call them rebels because we don't know whether they're Christians within the, uh, the fellowship or they're those uh, in the outside world. May the Holy Spirit reveal to you what the truth is there. He um, says, so the first portrait of these rebels depicts their end. How is their end? Their destruction. The word end does not mean uh, the termination of existence, as, as it were. 
The word end here portrays the um, issue and course of action of their lives. So it's not the end. It's not you done and done. You're done on this earth. It's not that end that he's talking about. It portrays the issue and course of action of their lives. The religion seems feasible. It seems all right. It seems to work. And I suppose we can say the same for of ourselves. Our religion seems to work. Seems to be good. Um, be a good neighbor. That's a good religion. Be a good neighbor. Pay your debt. That's a good religion. That's a good way to follow life. You know, join the PTA. Join the parents, uh, teacher association, as it were, in the schools that you're involved in, the community, community that you're part of. Join those um, seemingly things that are good. Join those, um, those, are good, uh, those are good practices. Now, those are earmarks for a good citizen, but not necessarily of a good Christian. So remember, you, citizenship is you, you follow the law, you follow the rule of the land. You can be a good citizen, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good Christian. It, it doesn't qualify into the, the Christian, Christian household or the Christian life. We may unpack all our obligations to our fellow man, but this will not impress God. Not the horizontal, but the perpendicular, the vertical, is the issue with God. So it's not so much about how we um, interact, although that's important. What actually counts is how we interact with God first. And as you interact with God first, so then how you interact with each other bears fruit. If this relationship between the Father and yourself, Father in heaven and yourself here on earth, is broken, it is um, taking strain, uh, you will see it will impact how we, uh, our relationship with each other. It says, on the other hand, these renegade Christians maybe, or the unbelievers, their religion may, compro- may comprise more spice in life. I mean, who here... I don't know how, many, how long we've been saved for, but um, who here has thoughts? Maybe I mean, you know, Christianity is just so, it's so limited. We can't do the things maybe that our sensual life wants us to do. We can't live this sinful life which almost seems to be so nice, so appealing. Religion may offer that. It says this, or a, 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 a club or a committee. They say this, if you join us, join with us, we put no limits to your life, to your sensual life, to the things that you des- desire, to the sinful life action that you crave, that your body is craving for. If you join us, this community, we put no limit to those things. You can do them. You can still belong to us. You can do them. 
That life of morality that is spoken about, that you just want to deviate a little bit from, you join us, it's okay. You can deviate a little bit. You still belong to us. We will allow you to live as you please. We will allow you to live your life in a way that brings uh, glory and pleasure to you. Whereas a uh, Christian lifestyle seems as though you can't do those things. There are certain things that we want. Remember, we, we, uh, the, the flesh is fighting. The flesh wants stuff. But the Spirit of God uh, says, no, you can't have those things. You can, actually. You can. It's your choice. But it's not, it's not life. If you follow those ways, what happens? These ways lead to death. And you see, in the Bible, destruction is not, an, um, it's not extinction. Destruction is not extinction. The word, this word connotes the idea of waste or ruin. In other words, people who are enemies of the cross end in ruin. End in destruction. So you're the, are you enemies of the cross? Well, dear friends, I cannot tell you now that your life will end in destruction. Your life will end in ruin. They're not extinct. They, they're not, they're not, they don't cease to exist at death, which we will all face, as we know. They do not slip into eternal unconsciousness. They continue to exist. But they wreck the quality of life either in time here or in eternity. So he's talking about, he's, he's saying, okay, well then, uh, those enemies of the cross actually within the, the Christian community. Watch your lives. Watch those around you. Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow the ones who the end will be ruin, the end will be destruction? Or will you follow the, the, the pattern that I have told you in my letters, Paul would say to them? That's the first category, the first portrait of... Uh, that Paul speaks about these enemies of the cross. The second one, the second characteristic of these haters or rebels of the cross is their God is their belly, their stomach. Their God is their appetite. Now we understand appetite. I mean, you know when you're hungry, you, when you're craving stuff, you almost do anything to just Ease that craving, isn't it? That's physical. It's Romans 16 verse 18 that says, For those who are such um, do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. So we can, in, in the context of the Christian life, we can't serve ourselves. We can serve our own appetites. We can serve our own ideology. We can serve what pleases us. What pleases us? But Paul points out that 
you could be erring on the side of destruction. You could become in the, uh, one who is an enemy of the cross. These people are actually not atheists. You know, they have a God. Atheists say that they don't believe in anything. They don't, they, don't, they don't have a God. There's nothing that holds them. These people are not the, the atheists. They do have a God. And guess what? And who their God is? It's their appetite. So this morning, who is your God? In all honesty, who is your God? Is it your stomach? Your appetite? Your, your desires? What is... What, what is leading your life? What is guiding you? What, where, what direction are you going? They are their own God. They worship themselves. They are self-indulgent because of their appetite. Given to our own devices, we, in, if you allow your appetite to run wild, it will lead you down the wrong path. One of the reasons why um, we are asked to fast, do you, do you know one of the reasons why we are asked to fast? The Bible says we need to, it's a Christian discipline to fast every so often. As the, um, some will say, as the Lord leads, others will argue and say, no, actually it's a Christian discipline for you to fast. How regular, I do not know, I cannot tell you, but it's a Christian discipline to fast. Why? Because we know that when you fast, you kind of um, uh, engage and you, you put everything aside to focus on God and His ways, but it also part of it is that we tame our appetite. We actually grab hold of our appetite and we tell our appetite, yes, tell me you're hungry. I will not give in to your hunger craving. And instead of giving in to that, I'm going to give myself to God, to spending time with God. So instead of preparing food, if it was food, instead of uh, spending time in my social media accounts, whatever it looks like, I will spend that time with God. So one of the reasons why we uh, ask to fast, firstly, it's a Christian discipline because it draws us closer to God. Because you're giving up that thing that can so easily entangle you. So that thing can so easily lead you astray. So that you can be closer and uh, be engaged with God. And then secondly, it helps us to just tame our, our appetite. Practically, fasting helps us to tame our appetite. Now, Of course, we know in the world, people will do fasting to lose weight. And all the rest, maybe some do, I certainly don't need to, to fast to lose weight. Um, but that's, it's wrong. But they'll do that because that's, it, and, and, and it kind of works. I mean, some people, I don't know, medically, I don't know how it all looks like and what, all I know spiritually that it, it's, a, it's a, a way to grow closer to God and a way to tame our appetites. See, these people, enemies of the cross, where their appetite is their God, this God is made up of what they can taste, smell, see, hear, and feel. Their God is made up of what they 
finite brains can understand. They invent their own God, their own gods. People who manufacture gods for themselves live lives toward themselves, towards themselves, to an improvement for themselves, a, a, a fulfilling of their appetite. And that's not what we are called to. That's what Paul is talking against. He said, no, no, don't allow you, your life, your appetite, your, your, uh, those things that God has allowed you to have, don't allow those things to become your God. You know, Christians can manufacture gods of their wives, and I'm not looking at any wives. They can also manufacture gods out of their husbands. And one that's a, a, quite a touchy one is they can also manufacture gods out of their own children. They become gods in their lives. Others worship their businesses or their jobs. A great God to many believers, unfortunately, is the mighty dollar or the mighty rand. Don't know how mighty. But the, 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 the money, money. What does money do? It helps us to engage our appetites. It helps us to buy the thing that we want to buy. It helps us to, to um, fulfill the things that we desire, isn't it? You can't fulfill those things without money. So then that becomes a God in our lives. But God in, um, uh, in Scripture, in, in Matthew, says you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve both money and God. In fact, what you need to do, my dear friends, God, uh, Jesus will say, uh, is follow me. Follow me. Serve me with everything in your heart. And all these other things that you crave and desire, I will add unto you. Don't follow money. Don't follow uh, these things that are seemingly as though bring fulfillment. No, follow me. And I will bring those things to your life. See, a man's God is that to which he wholly gives himself. His God is that thing which drives him. So what, what drives you this morning? What drives you? What has been driving you all these years? Has it been God? Has it been the talents and gifts that God has given us over God? Or is it God... And then those talents and gifts come and complement um, him, uh, our king. It's a fine line that we need to look at, we need to observe. So that was the second uh, characteristic of the, these haters, that God is their belly. The third and fourth final one is um, the final characteristic of the haters of, of the cross is that it shows what they believe. It shows the belief system. 
And that's why Paul early on would highlight and say, look at those who are mature within the context of the Christian household. Those who are mature, you need to emulate them. You need to mimic them. Because as, as you do that, you can see their course of life is not leading to destruction. It's not leading to a, a, a pitiful end. It is actually leading to a place where God is glorified through their lives, in and through their lives. How about you? Let it be the same for you and I as well. Let's look at each other. Let's see who we want to emulate. Let's see who we want to mimic. Let's see who we want to uh, follow as, as an example. And may their lives, as it brings glory to him, may your life also bring glory to him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The third and and, um, fourth characteristic is that you will see, unfortunately today, some people brag about their shame. Their shame is their glory. They obtain popularity by their own disgrace. To glory in shame is a pitiful view of life. We know that. Uh, we've all been uh, maybe exposed to this where you've got friends. Or they glory. They celebrate their shame. Oh, I'm such a this and that. Uh, that is actually, your, um, it's downward. It's a downward spiral. But we celebrate that. The world celebrates these things. However, us as Christians, we don't celebrate those things. We are to call those things out uh, between each other. And we call those things out and we help each other to change course again so that we can all arrive at the end of this race. So we do not celebrate a dismal, dismal life of immorality, like the world does. Like the world does. I mean, one example uh, when it comes to this is um, in the past, even in today, lying, you know, is regarded as a good business practice. I will lie in business, in life. So it's a common practice. Students deem cheating acceptable so long as it contributes to their graduation. So long as my line contributes to my growth of my business, I will do it. So long as the cheating contributes to my graduation, I will do it. But the reality of that, of that is that um, it seems as though the end justifies the means. It is all right to cheat, lie, and deceive, providing it is for a good cause. Ever had those thoughts? It's okay to do all those things, cheat, lie, steal, kill, destroy, whatever, as long as it's for a good cause. That's not how we are called to live. Because that does not glorify our king. Remember, we are made in God's image. We are to glorify. We are to radiate. We are to, we are to 
put an example to the world, the, the, the darkened world of how Jesus Christ is. And living like that does not bring glory to him. So just in conclusion, we must follow those who set a good example in the Christian community. Number one. Number two, we must note those um, who are enemies of the cross and avoid them. Don't engage with them. Don't follow them. Don't emulate them. And then number three, how we live our lives makes a difference here in time, but certainly into eternity. See, ruin, destruction is the end of a self-indulgent philosophy of life, actually. Human viewpoint always leads to the devaluation um, of eternal values. So I'll leave you with these questions. What drives you? Is it the almighty dollar? Is it your wife or your husband? Your children? Your job? What drives you? Perhaps good causes that you're part of, such as your family, your career. What drives you? Is God the central purpose of your existence? So all those things God has given to us. He's allowed us to be a part of it. I mean, he says we must enjoy this life. He doesn't give us this life and put us in a prison and just look at others enjoying it. No, no, he gives us these things and he asks us to enjoy these things. But let him be uh, supreme in your life. Let him be the core, the center of your life. And where you are failing, ask him to help you to reroute and rearrange that. So, God remains good to us. God remains good to us. So I hope I'm setting a good example in my life. I can set a beautiful example, the greatest example of a Christian up here. It's easy. I can speak. I can just state also. It's wonderful. I'm perfect when I'm speaking right, right uh, here. It's when I'm at home. It's when we are engaging with each other outside of the church uh, environment. That is when it, um, it is to be, it counts even more. It's how I react, because you can watch how I react to certain things happen. How am I reacting? It's those times that we need to be um, the salt and light in this world. And I certainly hope that you guys do not look at me and think, ah, I'm going to avoid him. I hope not. If you do, I'm sorry, please help me. Pray for me (laughs) that I may set a good example. I want you 
to look at my life and you can just see Jesus shining through it. And yes, I'm not perfect. Neither are you, so we are not perfect, but we are a work in progress. Remember, we are being changed and transformed daily into the image and, um, of Jesus Christ, daily. Therefore, there's a work to be done. We will never arrive. On this earth, we will never, ever arrive. We'll arrive one day when we see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I can ask us to close our eyes. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for who you are, for your goodness, your love, and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you allow us to be a work in progress. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, where we perhaps have become an enemy of your cross, whether by free will or out of ignorance, God, I ask that you would show us and then you'd help us to rectify that, God. Where our God is our belly or things that you've given to us, God, I ask that you forgive us and help us, Lord, to realign ourselves to the right place, Lord, where you are first, where you are center, all for your glory. We give you honor and glory, Jesus, this morning. Have your way. We love you. Amen.